Happy Monday, Liberty lovers. And if there's one thing that might help you through these dark coronavirus times, it might be getting your regular doses of CBD, always good for calming the mind and body, helping with inflammation, the aches and pains in the joints that uh, those like me that are quickly approaching the age of 40, often find themselves getting. And luckily for you, our amazing sponsors at the North Spokane Hemp Company deliver nationwide any order over $50. Head over to NorthSpokaneCBD.com for all your CBD needs, whether it's flour, although you might want to avoid that if you're worried about the lungs, but they also have tinctures, they have edibles, they have stuff for your dogs if your dogs have achy joints, as my big husky does. So please head over to NorthSpokaneCBD.com. Our sponsors can use your help now more than ever during these times, and you're going to want to use your discount code. That's discount code LIONS at checkout for 15% off your order. Welcome to the Lions of Liberty podcast. Here's your host, your guide, your shining beacon of liberty, Mark Clare. All right, Liberty Kitty Cats, my guest today is an anarcho-capitalist entrepreneur based out of the UK. He is the host of the Michael Cheney Show. I'm very pleased to welcome, for the first time, Michael Cheney. Michael, are you ready to roar? All right, oh, yes. there we go. Now, that's a roar. <laughs> I, had, I had to give you a British lion roar, you know? It's yes, just, you got you to gotta represent your homeland here, and I think you did a pretty <laughs> good job, Michael. Welcome to the show. Hey, how's it going? Thanks for having me. It's going great, man. And, um, you know, before we get into things, obviously, there's a lot going on. Uh, pretty much any guest I had scheduled to talk about a list of topics we're ending yeah, up talking yeah. about coronavirus at this point, because, because what else is affecting <laughs> our lives, uh, in a, you know, in, in a more intrusive way right now. Uh, but I first want to get a bit of your background. So why don't you just tell us a little bit about how this all got started for you? You know, how did you first become interested in um, libertarian ideas? But I'm also kind of interested in how this intersected with your entrepreneurial path. You know, at, at what point in there did that intersect with the uh, the anarcho-capitalist philosophy right yeah i mean it, it started i guess probably about 20 years ago i i uh, graduated from university and i got a job straight away working for exxon mobile of all people and it was sold to me as this great program i started work with these guys and i absolutely hated it it was it was just horrendous it was it was eating my soul from the inside out i'd see people working there the lights had gone out in their eyes you know they were just hanging on for retirement it there was so much just you know, BS politics. And I was just like, this, this is not what I was sold on. This is not the dream. You know, this was sold as like the, the ultimate package. And this is the way that life should be. And I was like, I've got, to, I've got to get out of here. Um, so I started my own business after two years, I quit my job. I've not worked for anybody else since then back in 2000. And I set up my own internet business. Now my first kind of, um, introduction, I guess, to sort of government overreach and that kind of thing, um, was, I struggled for quite a number of years to get started with the business, but I had a really good year when I finally broke through. And the government here in the UK hit, we, hit me with a tax bill for several hundred thousand dollars, which I wasn't expecting because I was completely naive. Even my accountants didn't see it coming. Hmm. And it, it almost floored me, you know, because I'd, I'd, I'd invested a lot of the money, I'd spent a lot of the money, and they came knocking the year after. And I was like, holy crap, like, what am I going to do? So that was my first experience. I then started trying to invest the money offshore you know, in legal ways to try and stop them getting their hands on it. Um, fast forward a few years, I then uh, came in touch with uh, Tom Woods, and I know you're familiar with. I am. Um, he's a good good friend of mine, and we, we do quite a lot of business together uh, on the internet, and he sort of introduced me to sort of libertarian ideals, many of which I was 
kind of operating under without even realizing what libertarianism was. I mean, here in the UK, it's, you know, you could speak to like 20,000 people and, and, you know, unless one of them is me, they won't know what it is in the UK. I mean, it's like, it's smaller even, even than it is in the US. So I'd just not been exposed to it. Uh, but Tom sort of introduced me to that. And then last year, halfway through last year, um, I was doing live streams for my internet business and I got hijacked by a bunch of libertarians who started ranting taxationist theft at me uh, on my Facebook live streams. And I was like, who the hell are these guys? What, what, is, this some, is this some kind of cult or something? Um, but they kind of, what's that? Yeah, Sorry. kind of. Yeah. And um, yeah, I, you know, I, I was kind of intrigued by, you know, what they were saying and, and the type of people they were. And I got to know a few of them personally. Um, and I was, it started to open my eyes to the power of sort of voluntarism and, and how people can help one another. And we don't need, you know, this nanny state to look after us. And then shortly after that, um, sadly, my, my father passed away re- totally out of the blue. He was really fit and, and healthy. And, you know, he was 75. We thought he had at least 10, maybe 15 more years left in him. And he passed away. Um, and one of the first things that happened is that the government came knocking for around $170,000 of his money uh, that was in his estate. So the, the laws in the UK are slightly different. I know in, in the, I've told this story and people in the US go, oh, it's ridiculous. Was he like a multimillionaire? And I'm like, well, no. I think in the US it's like 11 million is the, is the, the limit in terms of death tax. Here in the UK, it's, it's fairly low. He just worked as a teacher all his life. He was a school teacher for 40 years, worked really hard. He put a lot of money away to the tune of, uh, I don't know, like 400, well, say $500,000 US equivalent. I mean, the guy was like, you know, he wouldn't spend money. He would save it all. He was a diligent investor. He was always moving money around. And this was money that he'd already been taxed on, right? Because it was money he'd earned as a salary. He's taxed at source on a salary, as we all are, with income tax. He'd invested that money to look after his family, and the government took another, let's say, another hundred and whatever, hundred and seventy thousand dollars out of that money, which it personally didn't bother me financially, but from a, an ethical point of view and just a, a principal point of view, it just it really turned my stomach, and it was like really like the final straw for me of the realization that you know, something has to change and I'm not, you know, I'm not, I'm not playing with this game anymore. I mean, as I said, I'd gone through life quite a while and just not, not engaged in voting and just, you know, didn't trust politicians period, but things like this started to happen. And as I say, I got exposed to some more sort of libertarian ideals that it became clear to me that this was, this was a path that I needed to embark on. Yeah, I really like that. As you said, you were pretty much a libertarian in action and in practice before you really had discovered the philosophy. And um, right. it's great to hear that you actually, uh, I know you've worked with Tom a lot. I actually found you through Tom Woods, but it's great to hear that he's the one I didn't realize he, he actually did lead you down that philosophical path. So, uh, you know, there is hope for us podcasters out there. We, we are having an effect on people now. Oh, right? totally. Yeah, totally. Man. Yeah. And you, you actually started your own podcast pretty fairly recently, I think in the last year or so, or less than a year or so. Uh, I've been checking it out a lot recently. So what, what inspired you to go from just the business end of things to actually want to have that that voice yourself that philosophical sort of political voice on your own it was one of these things that you know i'm kind of um i'm kind of a spiritual person as well and you know with with my dad passing away even before that happened my kind of passion for for the the type of business that i was operating before had waned um and i wasn't really feeling fulfilled with it as as i used to um 
my father passed away as I was being interviewed for the first time on a libertarian podcast. It was, you know, I, I later learned that it happened at the time. Um, and I kind of just took that and thought, this is sort of calling to me now. This is almost like, you know, it was a wake up call to me. Obviously, you know, my, my dad was sort of taken early, if you like. And I kind of thought, well, I want to do something that really lights my fire, you know, and, and, and I've done that and I have, uh, you know, had a lot of passion for the business that I've been operating in for 20 years. But I, we always felt like there was something missing. Like I wasn't quite living my true purpose, if you see what I mean, without getting too deep. Um, and because of all these things happening all at the same time, it kind of led me to think, well, I'm just going to go down this path. So it wasn't really a decision. It wasn't like a conscious, I'm going to get into this. It was just, it just happened, you know? Um, doors started open and I just thought, yeah, I'm, I'm going to do this. I'm going to, you know, say what I feel. I'm going to learn a lot. I'm going to study a lot and obviously I listen to a lot of podcasts and follow people and really try and understand it and, and try and help other people, you know, like I was to, to wake up to it, you know, to, to see what's actually going on and, and wake up to the reality so they can maybe do something about it. Yeah. I think we can always use more voices with this stuff. I mean, there is the big joke that goes around now that, uh, you know, pretty much every libertarian has a podcast. Uh, but I mean, when I started six years ago, I actually started about a month before Tom started his show at that time, there really were no libertarian podcasts. I know. Yeah. He was, he's telling me. Yeah. Yeah. At least, at least no regular ones. Um, so, I mean, it really is. And especially with you in the UK, I mean, we, we may, it may seem like people like people like you and me, there might seem like there's a plethora of libertarian podcasts and there are, but there's, we're still such a small movement and such a small, smallly, you know, accepted philosophy on such a small scale. I don't think there's any shortage of the number of voices we can use, particularly more people that are in places where the philosophy is not even, I mean, it's it's even smaller, like you said, than it here is is here in the U.S. Uh, my friend Anthony Sabaroff is the only other person in the U.K. I know. He's the host of the Scottish Literary, Li- Liberty Podcast. He's the only right. other person besides you in the U.K. That, that I know that's a libertarian. So I assume there's a couple more, but uh, it definitely seems to be a, an area where uh, there's a lot of a lot of room for growth. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I should connect with him, actually. I've seen a few of these things on uh, YouTube, I believe. So, uh, yeah, he's great. yeah, we're definitely good to connect. How do you find talking about these ideas in the UK? Because, I mean, at least in the history of the United States, the way we're brought up culturally, there is at least that concept of freedom, that concept of liberty, even if it's really not put into practice at the government level or even the personal level in many ways. Uh, but right. at least the, the conversation is sort of there already to take. Yeah. Whereas I don't, I don't, I feel like it's not quite the same uh, in the United Kingdom. So how do you find approaching issues of freedom and liberty uh, in a place where I feel like a police state is, is almost just presumed in many ways? Would you agree with even what I just said there? Yeah, I mean, I, I could recount many examples of, of the, you know, the desperate nature of, of things in the UK. I mean, the way that I approach this, I, I'm almost all of my audience is based in the US. But what, what I do is I bring a different, um, a different starting point to this. It's almost like a warning shot from the future. And I say, look, this is how bad it is in the UK. This is how it could get in, in the US. So for example, somebody was telling me, a friend of mine was telling me just a couple of days ago, what he has to do to buy a gun, okay, in the UK. So there's a myth that you can't buy guns. You can actually buy guns. It's incredibly simple, okay? I'll just walk you through how you have to do it. <laughs> All you have to do is you apply for a license. I think you wait about 12 months. It, uh, you cannot buy a handgun. Uh, you obviously cannot buy uh, any kind of, um, um, you know, assault rifle or anything like that. But you can buy a shotgun. Once you've got the shotgun, you need to lock it in a safe. You need The safe needs to be wall-mounted uh, on a brick wall. You need to have keys to the safe. The keys need to be locked in a separate safe to where the guns are. Nobody but you can have the keys to the safe. Before you even apply for the license, you're going to get visited by the police in your house, and they're going to interview you on why you need the gun and ask you various questions. 
and they'll also visit you, uh, I think it's once a year, to ensure that the gun is locked in a wall-mounted cabinet with a key that is also stored in a separate safe that nobody else has access to. The ammo needs to be stored separately to the weapon. Uh, but yeah, other than that, it's a complete, <laughs> complete cakewalk to, to get a gun. It's just a couple of boxes you got to tick. No big deal. Yeah, no big deal. And, then, and obviously, if somebody breaks in, you've just... Oh, just, sorry, just, just wait a second. I've just... Uh, just give me half an hour. I just got to go through to the first safe. Right. I was going to say it almost renders. I mean, not almost. It does render uh, the gun if you store it in the way you're supposed to. Uh, essentially useless for home protection because by the yeah, time I mean, you need to get to it in an emergency situation, there's just no way you can do it. You have to unlock one safe, get another, get the, get the keys. Yeah. I mean, you, brick mounted. You, just, <laughs> you just end up like throwing the key at somebody or like trying to scratch them with the first key <laughs> to the first safe. I mean, it, it's completely pointless. Um, but yeah, you can't really defend yourself in the UK. You can't defend your home. Like, I've looked into this. Um, you can't buy pepper spray. Right? You cannot even buy pepper spray in the UK. The only thing that you can buy that they will sell you in the UK is UV spray that you spray the intruder with that puts UV invisible paint on them. So if they happen to walk into a police station that has one of the scanners, they can say, oh, yeah, this person must have been. What? Like, what? You'd be better throwing the can at them. It's, ridic- you know, it's ridiculous. There's nothing you can do. I think the latest research I've done, you. Um, obviously, I've looked into, uh, well, I, I shouldn't really say this, but let's just pretend that I've looked into homemade flamethrowers. Right. But you can also, uh, you can buy a crossbow uh, in the UK. That is legal. Um, Maybe that's so, your best way to go for self-defense. At least you can just yeah, I mean, it's, it's the bed. And- yeah, it's proper kind of, uh, you know, caveman-esque. Um, as, as long as there's just one guy and you're a really good shot. Yeah, yeah, you can't exactly, um, you know, do rapid fire with one of those things. Yeah, I don't imagine it's much much of a fast reload with a crossbow. Uh, No, no. But yeah, when I when I have these conversations with my friends and you know talking to people in the UK about these kind of issues and obviously trying to tread lightly to begin with to sort of scope them out and see where they're at and try and introduce them to these ideas, as you say, it's it's very very alien to them. They're like, like why would you why would you even think this way? Like you know that. Why would you be anti-government? You know, it's almost like whoa, like you, you know, you're one step away from being a terrorist. It's just, you know, it's 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 unheard of really for people to question it. And I think because of historically and over generations, it's just been ground out of people over here. We've got so little rights over here that people have just kind of rolled over and just accepted it and just resigned to the fact. You know, they don't really see see how bad it is. Hey there, Liberty Kitties. Time to take a quick time out to tell you about one of our longtime supporters. His name is Tyler Colford, and he goes by the pseudonym Crypto Man. That's his rapping name. That's right. He is a rapper as well. He does some awesome stuff, and he recently produced a track called Free Ross. And the Ross in question is, of course, Ross Ulbricht, the creator of the Silk Road Marketplace, who was sentenced to two life sentences for creating that marketplace. Yes, it was a black market indeed of all sorts of things including drugs consensual transactions which libertarians are completely in favor of there were no victims and there were no crimes as far as we're concerned so please do check out the track free ross it was just released on friday march 27th the 35th birthday of Ross Ulbricht. And 100% of the proceeds will go to the Free Ross Foundation. 
which is uh, helping to free Ross and bring more awareness to his situation. Do check out the links. I will put them all over at lionsofliberty.com slash free Ross for ease of use. You can also pre-order it on Google Play. Again, 100% of the proceeds of this track will be going to help free Ross. Given the state of things there in the UK and, and given the fact that your business is pretty much all online, uh, have you ever considered just the idea of becoming sort of an expatriate from the United Kingdom, of, of finding a place where there's not quite as much of an ominous police state, although pretty much anywhere you go, there, there is statism, statism uh, afoot? In the, in the yeah, uh, I tried. To, we tried to move to the US. Not um, Before we had kids, we tried to move to the US. They would not let us in. Uh, they would. They don't let um, business owners in unless they spend a million dollars in a deprived area, which you don't get back. It's not like a, a loan or investment. It's just in a deprived you, area. Like you have to spend that money in a specifically deprived area of the United States. Yep. Wow. If you're if you're a business owner, that's really the only way to get in permanently. You can apply for a working visa uh, to get in but it gets renewed, I think, every year. Sometimes you can get an extension for maybe three years. I mean, I do know people that move to the U.S. as, as entrepreneurs, mm-hmm. but it's a nightmare. They're on, they've got this thing hanging over them. Every two, three years, they've got to renew. I know one guy's got family. His family has stayed in the States. He was booted out because his visa wasn't renewed, and he ended up spending six months back in the U.K., had to go to the embassy in the U.S., finally got a visa again and got back over there. So, yeah, there was, there was no real legitimate way that we could get over there. Um, but yeah, we've certainly looked at moving elsewhere, certainly somewhere warmer. We, you know, here in Scotland, we've got everything. You know, we've got nature, we've got, you know, fresh air, we've got, you know, wonderful walking and cycling and hiking and all this good stuff, but we don't have the sunshine. So yeah, my wife and I are quite often talk about going somewhere a bit warmer and somewhere that's, as you say, a bit more, you know, embrace freedom a bit more, you know? Are you guys allowed to uh, enjoy the sunshine right now? Because d- d- just recently in, ca- in here in California, uh, you know, uh, we got issued the stay-at-home order or the shelter-at-place order, uh, whatever it may be. Uh, you were still allowed to go outside, and you are allowed to leave your house, of course, walk your dog and that sort of thing. But you were, until I think yesterday, still allowed to go to nature trails and hiking. But then they, they just shut that down because now that nobody can go to work, everybody was flooding the trails, and they were saying that the trails are becoming too too full of people. So now we can't even congregate in any way, even in nature. So it's really become in a matter of weeks um, it has become and I was traveling abroad and I came back and that's when the coronavirus stuff really yeah I heard you saying that with the NBA yeah the NBA game you said yeah yeah yeah, and then just sort of took off from there. So this has gone from, you know, I, I was coming home to what I thought was normal California, where I have my normal work and a lot of stuff stuff I do on site, almost everything I do outside of the podcast is stuff I have to be on site for. So that's all right. gone. And uh, now I can't even go enjoy a hike. So it's really become quite quite the situation here in, in a very short amount of time. But what are things like over there uh, as far as the response to the coronavirus? And I, I know they are pushing through, or but they probably already have. I know one of your last podcasts, you talked about a bill that was about to go through in the UK yeah. regarding coronavirus. Virus, but can you tell us what the government is doing in response to things there? Um, we can kind of see how that compares to the, the Californian response anyway. They've, yeah, they've, they've, I mean, they've put that through it. I mean, they sent a uh, SMS message to everybody in the UK today. Everybody with a cell phone got a message from the government today saying stay at home, um, which I don't have my phone to hand. But yeah, they sent a message to everybody's cell phone today. So like 66 million text messages were sent. Uh, stay at home. Um, you must stay at home unless you are one of the exemptions 
um, which are obviously you can go out for medical supplies, you can go out for essential food shopping only, not all the other shops are now shot. Um, you can go out once a day uh, for exercise, uh, and that wow. is it. Yeah. So, yeah, are, are they keeping track of how often you're going to go? go I know it's like how are they going to how are they going to enforce this? You know, I mean, the, the police have been given the powers apparently to to stop people, to find people, uh, they, to break up groups of more than two. Like, you know, is it is that even a group like two people? But um, yeah, if, if it's if you're not if you're in a group of more than two that are not family members, then uh, theoretically the police the police can come and uh, find you and, and break that up. Yeah. And as of now, I haven't heard anything about here about police like physically intervening, at least in California. But I, I imagine if this continues to go on and on, people are going to start to be like, all right, well, I'm just going to go out with my friends now. This is getting silly. And at that point, I do wonder, are people going to are police going to start oh, doing totally. billy clubs to just stop them from from just hanging out together? I mean, wh- where does this go? Yeah, I think I think that's exactly what's happened. What happens? I mean, it's a three phase thing, isn't it? This is how I kind of you know, trying to deal with it myself mentally, you know, first they ask you, this is what they did in the UK and that obviously we're British. So we're all polite, you know, and Boris Johnson comes on the team. Oh, please, you know, please, would you mind if possibly perhaps, you know, if it's not too much trouble, could you perhaps <laughs> stay at home? Maybe obviously that didn't work, uh, particularly in London, people didn't give a crap. So then they go to phase two, which is tell you. So they f- first they ask you, then they tell you, oh, you must stay at home. Okay. Some m- more people stay at home and cow down to it. And now we're in the third phase, which is they enforce it. Um, you know, they've given police powers. I mean, over the weekend, um, there were pubs in Scotland that were still open. They shouldn't have been open because the, they were still at phase two. They'd been told by the prime minister and the government to shot, mm-hmm. but they ignored that because it wasn't legal. Uh, so in response to that, on Monday morning, the, um, the government basically passed a law that means the police can go in and shut pubs down. So they've, got, they've moved past asking they've moved past telling and now they're in the enforcing stage which in itself has got sub stages because as you as you rightly said how can this be enforced at the moment the police are aware of it they have the powers they don't have the physical capability to do it yet but i think when you see boots on the boots on the street and armed um you know soldiers and whatever that's when it starts to become real i i wouldn't you know i'm not saying that's going to happen but it wouldn't it wouldn't surprise me if it did uh, I mean, I know, you know, from looking at what's happened in, in Italy and in France, you know, they started with this kind of curfew, uh, you know, martial law kind of thing. Then they started issuing fines. I mean, they fined thousands and thousands of people in France, uh, hundreds, in some cases, thousands of euros for being out when they shouldn't be out without the right paperwork. You've got to print off paperwork in France to leave your house. And you've That's got to right, from the, download it from the government, tick white why you're out. Is it medical? Are you helping somebody else? Or whatever it is, and if you haven't got the paperwork or receipt from buying food or buying medical goods, you get fined. What, what a lot of people I, I, here I see saying, "Well, like, look, this is just what we have to do for a temporary amount of time, just to get through this virus. Then, then we can return to normal." Uh, what my fear is, and I'm sure you share a similar fear, is that we're not really gonna return to normal because whenever there is a massive power grab or just a display that the government has this sort of power to, to just shut down businesses for for what they say is, I'm not I'm not claiming it's not a virus, uh, but I, I, what I am wondering is how much of this was uh, pre-planned power grabs and 
the virus is, is now an excuse for as opposed to what is a quote unquote legitimate response to the virus. Uh, where, where do you see this going in terms of the, these powers that are taking place, whether it's in the UK or all over the world? I mean, I don't think there's a country that's been, that's left untouched uh, from the some sort of lockdown of some kind. I'm sure there's a few out there. But uh, where do you see this going in terms of the powers that are being put in there and, and whether they uh, are actually going to be as temporary as most politicians are, are acting like they're going to be? The, the most worrying thing to me is not necessarily the lockdowns, it's not the quarantines, it's it's the other completely unrelated laws that are getting swept in at the same time. You know, the, the, the end-to-end encryption stuff that they're trying to put through at the moment is on the table. You know, this Earn It Act, the Earn It Bill, uh, which is going to give the government in the US a backdoor um, to access in, end-to-end encrypted uh, messages on Facebook, on WhatsApp, on Twitter, and things like that. It's got nothing to do with coronavirus. They tabled it last week. They're currently talking about this right now. If coronavirus was that big a deal, why would they even be making time for this? You know, it's just crazy. So there's a lot of that going on, uh, not just in the US, in the UK as well. Things that have been tabled, you know, been put through because it's a great time to bury bad news. You know, it, sure. you never obviously you never waste a, a good crisis. So in terms of the lockdown, obviously we can all argue to the ends of the earth about is it is it justified? You know how 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 serious is the virus? Nobody knows. I mean, the, the thing, the piece of information I'm clinging onto at the moment. I only found this out on on Saturday. It was a piece on the BBC website, and it was talking with the chief medical officer of the UK. So this is the guy who's advising the government what to do throughout this crisis here in the UK. They have said. The government has said they are making all their decisions based on science and what this lead scientist is telling them. He's obviously collating everything from the scientists in the UK, doing all the studies and the modeling. The chief scientist, this guy, said on Saturday on the BBC website, he does not know how many of the deaths that they are telling us about every day, he does not know how many of them have been caused by uh, COVID-19 or to what extent COVID-19 has caused those deaths. Now, that is a huge, Seems huge, like an important sp- bit of information. <laughs> it's a huge statement. It was buried away on the website. It was on Saturday. This, web- this article had the title, um, is, is the government over-egging coronavirus? Right? And I saw this on the BBC, which is normally a mouthpiece of, of government or whatever. I thought, wow, this is like crazy. I've never seen any kind of dissident piece on mainstream media. Let me have a look at this. I read it briefly. I went back to check it in detail on Sunday and do some research. They changed the title of the article. So it was no longer is the government overegging coronavirus. It was now called, here's what we don't know about coronavirus. It then, they then added a disclaimer to the top of the article in bold. All of the government measures that have been put in place are completely um, in line with uh, necessity to save lives. So it was almost like a bit of a U-turn from what I'd seen on Saturday. I don't know if some sort of editorial decision had come in. But as I say, essentially what they're saying here is they have no idea. The lead scientist driving all the decisions in the UK has no idea how many of the deaths that they've reported on a daily basis have actually been caused uh, by coronavirus or to what extent the deaths were caused by coronavirus. So to the conspiracy, and I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but to conspiracy theorists, they, they could take that and say, well, that means it could mean zero. It could mean none of these deaths. Because every year in the UK, 600,000 people die from old age. Right. And what he's basically said in that statement is, we don't know how many of these current deaths are within that 600,000 or additional. 
Sure. In, in any given population or society, there's a given percentage of the population that are at such an, an age or just a state of health that any little thing is going to push them over the edge, whether it is a coronavirus type cold or a flu or yeah. something else. And again, I'm not a medical expert. I'm not claiming that coronavirus isn't worse than the flu. Um, it, it seems to be in some ways, maybe more viral at least. Uh, but again, the people making these decisions about the economy they are not experts either on how what they're doing is affecting the economy. They might be experts on epidemiology or, or that sort of thing or, or you know how viruses spread, but these pe- are the people that are making prescriptions for entire segments of the population and, 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 and entire segments of the globe, it seems, uh, where we're just shutting down the economy, ignoring those effects. Because at some point, if you really just shut down the economy, the effects of that are going to be trickling down to so many other areas that you're going to be killing more people than the virus ever could hope to kill. Yeah, I mean, uh, one of the key areas that I see that happening is in is in you know depression and suicide. I mean, it's it's, it's the number one killer of males uh, aged, I think, up to sort of twenty five uh, in the UK is suicide. So you you know you lock people down, you stop them from leaving their home, you stop them from contacting their friends, you stop them from getting sunshine, uh, getting exercise. I mean, yeah, it could be huge. You know, it could be huge knock on effect. And again, I'm like you, I'm not. I, I've got no idea. I mean, if the lead scientist doesn't know, how do I, how am I going to know how bad this coronavirus is, right? But what the, the fact is that they don't know. That, for me, is enough to raise a huge question mark about whether or not it's serious. My gut feel at the moment, and this is complete guesswork and complete hunch, is that this virus is something that um, is taking out the aged, uh, the older population uh, slightly before their time. That's my gut feel on this, mm-hmm. is that for this, say, 600,000 in the UK, it's maybe accelerating all of those deaths over a 12-month period that would have happened anyway into a much shorter time frame, which would overload the health system and would obviously then cause more deaths indirectly from people that have got non-COVID issues that can't get seen. So I understand that. I think that's what's happening. They can't come out and say that because if they came out and said, this is, this, is what we, this is what's happening, these people are going to die anyway. Yes, they're going to be taken before their time, and that's tragic. They may be losing a few days, weeks, or months, um, but the main issue is it's going to overload the system and whatever. I don't think people would be staying at home. So I think they've got to make a play of this. They've got to beef it up in, a, in terms of a psychological fear factor so that people do stay at home to try and prevent what's going on. So I see it from their side as well. Mm-hmm. But as I say, at the end of the day, they, they're making huge, huge uh, decisions here that you know, it's the whole, it's the, the classic kind of bad economics. They're looking at one factor here and they're not looking at all the repercussions over the short term and long term of all the individuals involved in the, in the decisions that they're making. And they're making a decision based on one group of people and they don't even have the data on, on wh- what that decision is. You know, they're making a decision on that and it's not even, um, it's, it doesn't even exist. They don't even know to the, to the extent these deaths are being caused by COVID-19. So, it's a, yeah, it's a crazy situation. Obviously, they're trying to play devil's advocate. They're trying to you know um, prevent worst case scenario, um, you know, and all that stuff. Personally, I don't think there's any kind of um, dastardly deed going on in terms of the lockdown. I don't really see it, other than yeah, as you say, it's a kind of a power play and putting people in their place and you know really sort of showing that you know you you are the little person and we control everything. But I don't think I don't think this is going to be you know the repercussions of the quarantine will, will be put in effect. I think it's more of a, you know, a magic, like, look at this over here, you know, look at this over one side of the stage. And meanwhile, when I were putting all this other crap through over here, when you're not looking, you know, 
Yeah, I mean, here in the U.S., they're they're batting around this this huge relief bill, and they're trying to insert basically anything any politician has, has been trying to put through in the in the last I saw years. I mean, that. I mean, basically most of the New Green Deal they're trying to just insert into this coronavirus relief bill bill out of nowhere. I mean, they're trying to put in everything they've ever wanted, which does speak a little more to the idea that all right, one of two things are possible. Uh, these are the truly most evil people on the planet, and they really do know how bad the virus is, and still want to do all this other stuff <laughs> unrelatedly. Right. Or they are just using, they know that it's maybe not as bad, but they want to use the crisis for other means. Um, I guess it could be both. It could both be true. It could be really bad and they could be so terrible that they just still want to do yeah, other stuff yeah. in the meantime. But uh, I'm curious if you could speak on a little bit how much worse off a country like the UK is for, and, and how much less prepared they are for a situation like this because of how nationalized the healthcare system is, because of how centrally controlled it is. Whereas at least in countries that have a little bit more of a free market, they're able to at least be a little more reflexive and, and respond. I mean, here in the the U.S., they are starting to allow more more testing to be produced, which is at least you know the government doing a little less. Um, they still aren't allowing home tests, which could be available tomorrow if they, if they were allowed. So there are so many ways that government at every level hinders these things. But I know in the U.K., it's it's a little bit more of an extreme. So how is that having uh, an effect on the the entire system as a whole? Like you said, it's it's going to affect people um, sooner than later, not just people that have coronavirus, but that need anything at all done if the system gets so overwhelmed. Yeah, well, I don't know if you've ever seen a picture of one of those trains in India where you've got like a thousand people inside each carriage and then you've got like 5,000 on the roof. Right. That's that's the UK health system before before coronavirus. Like right. there, were, there are people dying in corridors. There are not enough beds for people uh, in the in the health system before this started. You know, they're, they're not paying the uh, not paying the nurses enough. They're not paying the staff enough. Uh, they're overworking them. Uh, lots of people were die- are dying alone in hospital because there's not enough staff to look at. This is all like, you know, before before coronavirus, this was all happening. And of course, we're all paying for it. I mean, I got a, uh, an email from the government uh, about four weeks ago, maybe a little bit longer, uh, explaining a breakdown of a particular year and how much money I'd paid uh, for all the, the basically um, how much money they'd taken from me in tax and where it was all gone. And I did a, an episode on it. It was extremely irate, and people found it uh, very amusing. But it was basically, I think I ended up paying thirty thousand uh, US dollars in a year for for towards health. So thirty thousand of my personal dollars that I'd earned was taken from me uh, and given to to the health system wow. in that year. Now, that's one thing, right? If I use it, and you can go in, you can get seen by a doctor fairly quickly, and obviously. Everyone's like, yeah, but it's free. You know, you don't pay for it. It was like, well, no, it costs me $30,000 yeah, a year. Look at this note. You pay for it. Yeah, for sure. You definitely pay for it. But the other thing is you can't get seen quickly. So I've had this uh, kind of medical issue that I've been um, undergoing since about early February. I've been trying to get seen. If I waited for the NHS system, obviously I'm talking separate to, to coronavirus right now. This is just the health system before coronavirus. We'll yeah. talk about that in a sec. Um. But for me to try and get seen by the NHS for what is quite a serious issue to me personally, it would have taken me several months to get an appointment with a, a specialist. So what I do is I pay $30,000 because I don't have a choice because they put a gun to my head or imprison me. And then I, I pay for private health care. So I pay for private insurance every month additionally, which is about well, $100, $150 a month I pay out of my own pocket again so that I can actually get seen when something goes wrong rather than have to wait several months. Now I'm fortunate. I'm, I'm one of the lucky ones, right? Cause I've actually got a business. I've got enough money to, to be able to do this. Most people don't, they're getting fleeced for this and they're paying way, way over the odds. 
and it comes down. I mean, on average, I can't remember the exact sum, but I think it's something in the region of four to five thousand dollars. I think on average, every person in the UK, every working person in the UK, pays for healthcare in taxes per year. So it's not. This is not a free system. This is not a, and it's not even a good system. It doesn't work. It's overloaded. There are not enough beds. Uh, when the health, uh, when the National Health Service was started uh, many decades ago there were hundreds of thousands of beds and the population in the UK is a fraction of what it is today. There are now about a third of the number of beds that there were and obviously the population has probably tripled or quadrupled. So even before coronavirus came around, you had long waiting times, months in some cases to be seen, months to, to be seen to, to get you know major, uh, major surgeries, people left in um, corridors, waiting rooms and this kind of stuff. So it was bad even before coronavirus hits. Now, what's happening is they're having to bolster this. It's creaking at the seams. They're panicking like crap. I just read today they've converted one of the arenas down in London into a, a makeshift hospital using the army to try and create more beds. They've, today, they've asked for 100,000, I think it's 100,000 volunteers to work for the NHS. So just ran, I don't know, just people step forward if you want to work for the health service. They've recalled thousands of people that are retired because there's not enough people. So they've, they've recalled people that are uh, previously, you know, retired and, and try to bring them back to work. Who are, of course, the most at-risk population for, right. for, for getting hurt by the, <laughs> for actually getting hurt by the coronavirus. So how many yeah. of those people are now going to be exposed to this thing, which wouldn't have hurt them if they were just able to stay home and stay retired. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, as I say, the, the whole system was creaking like, like crazy before. And now, I mean, the wheels are just coming off, you know, they're, they're, they're panicking and, you know, they're, they're trying to get, you know, physical labor and, and, and stuff from all over the place to try and, you know, shore up the defenses. Well, Michael, I don't want this whole show to be a downer because uh, there is a lot, of, <laughs> there, there is a lot of hope. There is a lot yeah. of reason to be optimistic out there in the world today, uh, even with all this terrible stuff going on. And uh, but the hope, uh, I think that what the biggest focus I want to do in, in this coming year here is to make people realize our, our best hope in, in doing these things is not by. I think we should reform the government if we can. I, I'm, I'm active in the Libertarian Party here. I, we advocate to dismantle a lot of this stuff, but the the idea of that being the pathway to fixing things is probably you know not the most viable one. Whereas taking our account for our own personal lives and our own personal freedom and building our own wealth so that we don't have to be as affected by this stuff, so we can be like you, where even if they take thirty thousand dollars from us and we can't do anything with it, we can still get our healthcare that we need to because we have that sort of financial uh, flexibility. And I think, especially right now, uh, a lot of people, especially right here in Los Angeles, where Almost everybody I know or a large portion of people I know, including myself, work in the film and television industry. Everything we do is on site or on a set. That doesn't even exist anymore. So a lot of people suddenly find themselves without their normal sources of income. Um, luckily, I have some podcasting to, to keep me busy in, in, in this time. Uh, but I, I'm curious if you could kind of just break down a few a few tips you'd have to people um, about becoming an entrepreneur about sort of just maybe just more on the mindset level people that thought well i just like going to my job i don't want to work for other people i i don't care if i work for somebody else now people that may might not have previously had the entrepreneurial mindset that now find themselves in a position where well you better get it because because i, right. I think especially i think the economy was going this way anyway but coronavirus and all this hysteria is going to push it even more so to a place where people are wor working more re remotely where people are going to have to be generating multiple streams of income on their own so what would be the first place you would start just from a mental point of trying to convert your mindset from I need someone to come pay me and, and bring me somewhere to do work as opposed to creating that wealth and creating that work for myself. Right. Well, I actually think this is a, a really cool area that I'm hoping is going to backfire for the government in terms of these quarantines yeah. and lockdowns, which is giving people time and space away from the rat race 
away from working for the man and actually realizing that life goes on and that the, ma- you know, the major important things don't cost that much. You know, like you can go out, obviously, not only once a day here in the UK, but you can go out for a walk. You can go out for your, you know, spend time with your family, spend time with your kids. Do they tell I you think how of, long your walk can be, by the way? Like, can you just take one really long I know, well, six-hour well, walk? Everybody, and- <laughs> everybody saw that. I was like, oh, yeah, I'll just go for a five-hour walk. Yeah, there's no... <laughs> still there's on no, my walk, so... Yeah, <laughs> still, I'm still on my walk, officer. You know, I'm still, <laughs> still going here. But, um, yeah, no, I'm, I'm sure that I'll probably follow with tomorrow's announcement. They'll probably... Uh, They'll probably put it onto steps. Walks you know? must be thirty minutes or less. Yeah, they'll give you a Fitbit, and you'll they'll implant a chip, and you know you've walked too many steps, and then it'll automatically fire you back to your uh, your little quarantine. I mean, zone. I know it's a joke, but the technology is all there where they could pretty much do it tomorrow if they. If, and it's, especially, it sounds like in the UK, it might be accepted and, and embraced very quickly if they suggested that. Uh, yeah, there'd probably be a number of people voting for it already. Yeah, I mean, right. with the, with cell phones, I mean, they're already tracking all that track stuff. Track our like, steps. Track our steps. <laughs> yeah. But um, but yeah, I think I think this could be a big area for people because um, I think it might open a lot of people's eyes to um, what they can do on their own and how they how they can operate when they've got autonomy and and how much more freedom they can get in their life when they actually take it upon themselves to to generate their own uh, revenue and you know drive forward for their own sort of financial freedom and their own uh, financial success rather than as you say relying on somebody paying them. Um, for me, the the mindset is very is very very critical. Um, you've got to have that right. Not everybody is made to be an entrepreneur. Some people just can't do it. It's, uh, you know, I've learned this to my cost trying to tra- train people and coach people over the years. Some people just don't have it, and that's totally fine. Mm-hmm. Um, but for for those of you that um, are thinking about it, you've had a little spark. Maybe you've got an idea, or you thought, yeah, I wouldn't mind giving that a go, or it just intrigues you in some way. That's that's a sign that it probably is for you. If it freaks you out, if it scares you, you know, you you think no, I could never do that. You know, quite a lot of people when I say I've worked for home, you know, work from home and I've you know got my own business for twenty years, they're like, oh, I could never do that. You know, I could never. How do you motivate yourself? You know, you work at home, you have got the TV, and how, if you're an entrepreneur and you don't work, you don't get paid. So the motivation <laughs> it's pretty good is, motivation. Yeah, it, it's. It's not like rocking up to work and, and you know doing bare minimum and get paid or as I used to do, do do nothing and try yeah. get paid. You I know? would say that's far more motivating than going to a job where your only motivation is to do whatever you need to do just to get that paycheck coming still. Yeah. Um, but that's essentially I mean, obviously a lot of people want to do more of their job and move up and this sort of thing. But for many, many people, that is all the job is. It is it is a way, it is what can I do to just make sure that check still keeps coming. And so that's not that's a totally different mindset from the entrepreneurial mindset where you're always going to want to be growing, always going to be wanting to try new things and do more because you're doing it for yourself. Yeah, exactly. It's the, it's that kind of yeah forward thinking kind of uh, learning, you know, constantly learning new things, constantly sort of reinventing yourself and getting into new areas, which is kind of why, you know, really embracing the, you know, libertarian movement and, you know, doing my own podcast and things like that is constantly to be learning new things, pushing myself in new directions. Um, so yeah, the mindset is important. I would say, you know, for anybody that's trying to get, you know, trying to start out at this, it's really having that big reason why you've got to have a massive reason why you want to do this. Like, it, cause it is going to be tough. It is going to be hard. It's far harder than a job. It's far riskier than, than, than a job, but the benefits are huge. Like I, I'm a quite a big risk taker. I would say I'm probably like a seven out of 10 in terms of risk, you know, across the board. Um, my, my late father was probably a four out of 10, very, very sort of conservative, you know, with his money and, and very kind of, um, did not just like taking risks at all. And when I was working that job, remember I said I had that job for two years, I hated it. 
But I had this idea, I had this germ of an idea, the seed of an idea about the internet, but I just I didn't have the balls to do it. I was scared about doing it because I wasn't making anywhere near the, the salary that I was making, right? And obviously I had debts, I had mortgages to pay, food to put on the table. And I wasn't getting, I was making some money with what I was doing on the internet, but not enough to make that leap. And I spoke to my dad and he just said, do it, like, just do it, you know, take the chance. Otherwise you regret it, you know, just see what happens. And I, that was the, the big turning point for me. Cause I thought, well, if he's saying do it and he's like totally risk averse, I've got to do it, you know? Um, and it's obviously different if you're in different stages of life, you know, if you've got kids, you've got dependents. I didn't have kids at that point, but now is the ideal time. You know, we've got time, as you've said yourself, you know, you, you're using this time uh, in the quarantine to, you know, learn new things and expand and, and, you know, use the free time that you've got, you know, use it to your advantage. Don't just, you know, sit on Call of Duty or, you know, watch Friends reruns, whatever. Um, now is the perfect time to explore this. Maybe it's not for you, but do it now while it's not going to, it's not going to cost you any more than what's currently happening. You know, it's not like you're going to be putting a, a separate quarantine of, you know, you've already locked down. If you've already gotten so, locked down and whether you've lost your income or not, you're in a position where you can do, t- you have two options. You can either sit there and be upset about it and just be sad or, and just wait to hope that someone lets you out eventually lets you out of the house, lets you go for a longer walk, lets you go back to your job or you can start working on other things. The worst, the best, or worst or best, I don't know. <laughs> Either way, if if the worst case scenario is that you develop new skills and get your job back, I mean, that, that's still a good scenario. You know, if, if that's the worst case scenario, there's still no downside here. Yeah. Well, I see that happening. I see, I see a lot of people that kind of recognize this as an opportunity. There's a, obviously, there's huge swathes of people in the world right now that are panicking, um, that are worried, rightly so, financially worried and worried about their health and so on. But I think the entrepreneurs, this is going to, entrepreneurs because people will see this as an opportunity you've got time alone you've got uh, time without distraction if you can obviously turn off the media for a bit and you've got time you, you know we don't have time in our lives normally we're like you know going off to work you know eating and maybe watching an hour of tv and collapse to sleep and repeat and then get wasted on the week or, or whatever you know we don't have much time to think and plan and strategize what are we doing in our lives who are we what do we want to achieve what are we trying to become what legacy do we want to leave what difference do we want to make this is an opportunity that people can face that they can face head on here with this lockdown scenario and almost you know embrace it as a as a challenge to come out the other side in a better shape as you said even if they end up going back to work they might have more skills it might have put, put a light bulb on where they think well yeah we'll go back to work because it's it's now money and it's it's guaranteed and it's steady but i've now got this fire burning little fire burning a little spark inside me i know that i'd rather be doing that i know that i could do that and I think if that's all it does, if that's all that the little research that you do uh, does in this period, it's been well worth it because it could set you on a trajectory where in a year, two years time, you decide, as I did, just to sack off the, the whole nine to five existence and just do your own thing. Because it's, it, you know, in terms of talking about freedom and liberty, that there's very few things that you can do in your life that you have control of that will give you that sense of liberty than being your own boss generating you know significant amounts of income that you can control and making the decisions that shape your destiny and not having other people be the sort of puppet master. Yeah, I remember when I was 24 years old and, and I got fired from a job and I thought it was the end of the, the world. I really thought it was the end of my whole universe that one day I had a job, the next day I didn't. And I just couldn't even comprehend. I mean, every job I ever hadn't had, I, I, I had kept and done well at and this one, something else happened. And I, I, I really had a panic moment. But what, it ha- what happened was it really made me think outside my box. And I started making phone calls, talking to people, trying to get into other areas. And it really ended up 
up leading me. It was the best thing that ever happened to me because if I didn't get fired from that job at that time, I might have stayed down this path that I wasn't really that happy with, but I might have just kept going along because it was a paycheck and I, you know, et cetera, et cetera, uh, going along to get along. But it, that that sort of sense of panic, that moment of panic led me down a, a different path that I, I became so much more happier with and, and I think was such, such a better way to end up going. So I had to take that strategy and turn it into something better. So I, uh, the best I can hope out of this situation is that something similar can happen to millions, uh, tens of millions of people. I mean, there's so many people that are being affected by this that I, I can only hope that most of those people or, or a percentage of those people see, do see this as an opportunity, do take the chance to think outside the box, to connect to people and connect to, you know, just different skills that they hadn't thought of before. And uh, if, if even if this all comes back to quote unquote normal in two, three, four weeks, uh, even if those people just just go down that path a little bit, like you said, and set off that, that spark, I mean, I think we might come out of this so much better off in, in many ways. So that, I think that that's kind of the best we can hope for to come from this. Yeah, yeah. I, I say I think this is a big, uh, you know, it's a big plus point from from all of this. It's not, you know, not just a spin that you know that I'm putting on this. I do think it has a big potential to make people realize that life still goes on without all of that stuff. You know, okay, they forced us to be in our homes, but now it's now we're separate to them. You know, we're, we're separate to that game. We're separate to that machine. We're separate to that system and that mechanism, and we can. In a way, it's kind of bizarre, but now we actually have, you know, in one sense, we've got a little bit more freedom in one way because we're not at work. We've got time to think. We've got access to the internet and we can expand what our horizons of what we can actually make possible. If, if we have the right mindset, as you say, obviously most people will be in a state of panic and fear and when can I get back to work and everything else. You can't do anything that, you know, I'm always, you know, I'm a big believer in not arguing with reality. You know, don't argue with what is. It's the, it's the greatest cause of stress. You know, oh, but oh, but it's raining. Or oh my god, you know, I've just. But this stopped just my... isn't fair, Michael. This just isn't fair. Yeah, <laughs> it just isn't. You know, and people people go through life like that. I'm like, just look at what is. Okay, that's how it is. Crap. Yeah, fair enough. What can you do? What can you actually control? At the moment, there's very little that we can control. But what we can control is how we use our time. And what we look at when we go online. So you can control, obviously, what you're thinking about and what you're researching online. You can use this to try and spot opportunities, start studying entrepreneurship, you know, start getting, um, getting a foot in the door and see if it's for you. And maybe it would grow into something uh, you know, down the line. Well, Michael, I'm glad we could turn a lot of the a lot of the gloomy, gloomy, gloomy talk and news of police states and uh, crippling healthcare systems into a more positive message because I really think that is uh, this is the what I want to do with this podcast in this time. I want to inspire people. I want to continue to inspire people, not just down the philosophy of liberty as I've been doing for so many years, but in uh, in terms of taking charge of their own lives and kind of finding right. that spark that we've been talking about. So I hope this and many other conversations that you and I will have with other people down the road will help to do just that. So um, before I let you go here, Michael, why don't you just take a quick second? to plug away on anything you've got going on. I know you've got a whole lot of going on, but anything specific you'd like to plug and uh, let people know where they can find your show and anything else you've got in the works. Sure. I'll just say if anybody wants to check out my show, it's at michaelchaneyshow.com. I do an episode Monday through Friday uh, with a yeah focus obviously on liberty and also on entrepreneurship, talking to you about how bad things are in Britain so that you uh, know what might be coming down the pipe to, to the US. So it's michaelchaneyshow.com. All right, Michael, keep a track of this guy. Uh, you're going to be hearing a lot from him coming, coming down the pike. I'm pretty sure of that. Michael Cheney, it's been an absolute pleasure. Keep up the great work. Keep on roaring. Yeah, you too. All the best. Take care, Michael. 
All right, my friends, I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Michael Cheney, an awesome guy. He was an absolute blast to talk to, and I think this guy is such a great mind, not just for libertarian ideas, but uh, for entrepreneurship, the kind of things libertarians really need to be focusing on, especially in these coronavirus times where, quote-unquote, jobs are not not necessarily a guarantee, but you can become your own uh, job provider, so to speak, if you can can work your way into some kind of entrepreneurial uh, situation. And that's not going to be for everybody. It's not easy. Uh, but it's something we should all be thinking about and, and putting a lot of time into. And I think if you follow Michael Cheney, you're going to get a lot of great tips on that sort of thing. So please do check out the Michael Cheney Show. I'll, of course, link to that in today's show notes. This is episode 446. So you'll find that over at lionsofliberty.com slash 446. I want to also remind you guys about the work we are doing with our friends at Donor C. Our friend Greg Glyer over there has put together a great program to help people being affected all over the world, particularly the third world with the effects of coronavirus. There are so many ways people are affected by this, many ways that you're not even thinking of. Uh, just getting hand sanitizer to people in poor countries is becoming more and more difficult. So he has put together a series of projects, which you can find over at donorc.com slash coronavirus. Feel free to check those out. Donate to anything you, that you like that looks like something you'd like to support. The great thing about Donor C is you get video updates of all the people you're helping. So you can actually see the money that you send being put to work. It's really an amazing thing. And even a dollar or two helps with these causes. A lot of these causes only have a two, three, four, five hundred dollar um, need at the moment, and really a dollar or two each. That really does help. And another way you can help if you support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash lions of liberty for at least March and April, perhaps longer, we are going to be donating 10% of our Patreon proceedings to Donorcy for this coronavirus project. And we hope to give you guys updates about the people that we are specifically helping uh, with Donorcy. Of course, a couple years ago, Lions of Liberty listeners helped to build uh, a house of for a woman in, in Africa who is in need and she had a home and she thanked our listeners uh, on video. It's really just an amazing thing to see and uh, you can do that by helping out either directly over at DonorC, DonorC.com slash coronavirus or by supporting us on Patreon, Patreon.com slash Lions of Liberty, knowing that 10% of your money, your contributions to help us grow in these times will also be helping those out there in need. So uh, please do check those out. That's about all I've got this week or it's at least all I've got today because I have been doubling down on content a bit. This past weekend, I released a live stream I did with Mike Brancatelli, a special bonus episode where we talked about all things Corona, how to stay sane in the age of coronavirus, how to deal with lockdowns and this sort of thing. So uh, be sure to click back in your feed and check that out if you missed it. And of course, the rest of the week will be populated by our standard lineup. You've got Brian coming back at you on Wednesday with Electric Liberty Land, his weekly shot of comedy, culture, and liberty, while John Odie Odermatt will wrap things up on Friday with his hard-hitting and always inspiring look at the broken criminal justice system on Felony Friday. But keep an eye on that podcast feed because, like I said, I'm doing a lot more content. I've got a couple live streams scheduled next week. I'm doing one with Mikkel Thorup uh, from Escape Artist, also one with Matt from the Jason Stapleton program talking about coronavirus. Uh, you want to follow the Lions of Liberty Facebook page. I'll be streaming everything to that Facebook page uh, during these times when I'm doing these interviews, especially when they're about uh, coronavirus and the effects it's having on, on our society all around the world. So uh, stay tuned for that stuff. All of it will eventually be released uh, to the public. 
public most likely. But in the meantime, our patrons will always get this content first. So as soon as this stuff is up, as soon as I grab it, the audio, I upload that to Patreon so our patrons can easily listen to this stuff and check it out. So uh, we are doubling down in so many ways during these times. I'm locked down uh, essentially here in California. I can't go to work. So I'm here going to be doing a lot more content for you guys and uh, you know, trying to really give you guys some some entertainment and some, uh, some things to ponder, I suppose, uh, if you're on lockdown as well, or even if you're not. Uh, until next time, my friends. Live long! And live free.